Dave Selness, and uh, I'm the right-hander they called in from the bullpen for uh, Pastor John today. Uh, I get a chance to share with you something that uh, is an amazing privilege to take God's Word and to share it with people who come to hear God's Word. They don't come to hear a man, they come to hear God. And so I will do my best to uh, stay out of the way and pray that God will speak to, uh, to you and to me. The passage that... Oh, that scared me too. Okay. The passage that uh, we're going to be looking at was suggested by you as a congregation, Isaiah 41.10, and uh, it talks about don't be afraid or... Uh, is there another plan, or do you all just want to go home? <laughs> do we have a, a backup that I can even just hold it? <laughs> okay. That hopefully will be better. The, uh, the passage is one that really touches all of us, I think, uh, because all of us hurt. You saw Tim up here who has ALS, and uh, we don't hurt like he does, but we all, we all hurt. In fact, some of you probably hurt uh, more than that. The passage is Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Now, one of the things I want to do as we go into this is so that we, at the end of what we talk about this morning, can hold on tightly and that this isn't just a, well, like that commercial. Do you remember the old commercial where a guy is sitting in a counselor's office and he's, he's laid back and you come into the scene with him saying, and that's why yellow makes me feel sad. Any of you remember that commercial? And then it's an old retired uh, army sergeant, and he says, you want some tissue, jack wagon? And remember that one? Uh, okay. Well, so that we don't just approach this passage as, well, this makes me feel good. I want to give some background and substance to it, because all of us hurt. If you are struggling with being discouraged, and uh, if you haven't been discouraged this month, you haven't been paying attention. Okay, we're all, we've all gone through some phase of that. Uh, maybe there's something in, in your family. There are always relationship issues and stresses. Uh, maybe it's with your health. I have a, a health deal with my back that I'll, I'll share a little bit more later. It's not as bad as some of yours, but when something hurts, you know, that, what a pain. <laughs> if, if you're afraid, that you can't go through with something. Some of you have some presentations you have to make. Some of you have to, to do some things that you're not sure you can do at work and what will happen if it doesn't go well. Uh, some of you can identify with having a compulsion. This week, uh, Patty and I were looking for some uh, furniture to help my older brother who needs to relocate. And we, uh, we went to a thrift store where um, one of the guys who helped us, he, he made the comment, um, 
as I picked out one thing, he said, well, God bless you. Seriously, cool. So we talked a little more, and he shared some of his testimony, how God, how Jesus Christ had set him free from compulsions and from addictions. He says, you know, uh, they're still there, but how Jesus has changed my life. So here we are all together in this room, and we bring our, our issues, we bring our hurts. Um, this passage is for us. And before I go any further, I want to pray and ask that the voice you hear will be the voice of God's Holy Spirit speaking to that spot in your heart where you live. Okay. Lord, we come together this morning. We come to worship you. We come to hear from you. And so I pray that by your Spirit, you who know every corner of our thought, every corner of our being, you know who we are from our birth till this very moment. You know what's coming, and we don't. And so we look to you to tell us what we need to know, what we need to hear. I pray that your spirit would go right there. And we listen. Thank you. Amen. Okay. Now, for us to, uh, to get a, a grip on this passage in Isaiah 41, I want to get a little bit teachy with you. So if you want to fade off, I'll wake you up when we get to a different part. But right now, I think this is an important thing for us to get as a foundation so we're all on the same page. There are a couple ways to approach a passage like this. One of the ways is to come at it scholarly, teacher, uh, student approach. And what that means is you, you come to the passage and first you, you find out, well, what did it say? And so you check the original languages, you know, you look up uh, different ways that it can be translated, and then to find out what it means, you read commentaries. And by the way, what scripture meant back then it means today. That is, it doesn't change with culture. What it said to them is what it says to us now. It applies a little bit different because of how, how we live. Same meaning, though. So this is the scholarly teacher kind of student approach, is to, um, to check the what did it say, then what did it mean, and then how can we put it so that we grasp it. That's one of the ways to approach it. That's partly how we're approaching it right now. Um, the result of that is knowledge. Now, knowledge is a good thing, uh, especially if you don't have it and it can get you into trouble. So the fact that the goal of this is knowledge is not a bad thing, but it can fall a little bit short in that we can end up saying, well, now I know how the ancient build their, their walls. <laughs> you know, does that change your life? Not so much. Uh, meanings of names. How many of you know what the name Job means? Anybody know what the name Job means? means afflicted one. What kind of mother? <laughs> okay, well, what you don't know is that they changed names as major events went on, right? Okay, so that makes a little more sense. That's one of the things that can come out, you know, as you, you go along in, in that. Um, it can also, do you know why they had to involve Rome in killing Jesus, crucifying him? It's because the Sanhedrin, who wanted him dead, didn't have the power. They were under Rome's authority. I mean, so... Yeah, that's some of the stuff that, that comes out. The result could be mm, just knowledge. So there's another approach that uh, we need to consider, and that is the devotional approach, where when you look at Scripture and you read it and you, you go, what does this passage make me feel? Uh, what comes out of it? We all do that. I do that. When I have my morning devotions, I don't get out the Hebrew text 
you know, and, and go, well, no, I think, uh, oh, that's right, they read from right to left, don't they? <laughs> that makes everything different. Um, it isn't that, it is, Lord, speak to me. There have been times when I have read the, the scriptures and it has been so perfectly timely that, wow, that passage was just what I needed to know for today. That would be the devotional approach. And so you, you read it, how does it make me feel, what does it say to me, and what should I do? The uh, result of a devotional look at scripture is emotion. Now, I know when I use that word, most guys go to their phones and Google, what is that word he's using? Emotion. <laughs> a lot of us are not real emotional or not in touch with emotion, but we need to understand that if we don't have emotion, very rarely are we moved to do anything. So uh, emotion needs to be there. It's, it's sort of a motivator that, that carries us along. But it's possible if it's just emotional to take things out of context. Um, to end up saying, oh, that made me feel like I can do anything I put my mind to. Well, no. Uh, if I put my mind to being a, uh, an NBA basketball player, no, not so much. Not going to happen. So it, if it makes you feel that way, that's taken out of context. Um, maybe you, you read in your devotions about David, whose good friend Jonathan had a son named, if anybody can help us pronounce that, had that, the name Mephibosheth. And you read that, that, oh, you know, that boy moved me so much, I'm going to name my son Mephibosheth. And you felt like God wanted you to do that. I'd suggest that you talk to another relative <laughs> before you do that. I mean, can you imagine? I can't even think of a short name for Mephibosheth. So the danger in doing it just devotionally is, ah, oh, this is how it made me feel, and that's what I'm going to act on. All right, so which approach is best? Well, we need to understand what it said so that the author, who is God, says to us what he intended to say. Um, one of the things I studied earlier on uh, is communication, and one of the things that still blows me away about communication is that it rarely happens well, and that it isn't the speaker who determines what words mean, it is the listener. For example, if I were to say to you, picture right now, having a picnic lunch by a waterfall. Okay, picture that. You got it? You got that? Okay, now here's what I was picturing. This is what I meant, and so I'm sure this is what you got. I meant sitting on one of those concrete picnic tables by Niagara Falls with the mist blowing over, and then taking your fried chicken and opening it just a little bit so that the water doesn't get on, and then doing that. Isn't that what you thought? How many of you thought that? Weren't you listening? <laughs> so, the deal is, it's possible for us as listeners to scripture to bring our own meanings to it. And what we want to know is what the author said. So to understand what did he mean when he said this passage, that's what we want to get after. All right? So, we on the one hand want to make sure of that. On the other hand, it's not what we know but it's what we do with what we know that really matters. Okay, you stayed with me really well. You understand that there are those two approaches, both are important, and that's what we're going to do with, uh, with Isaiah 41. But there's one more thing I want to bring to your attention. The passage says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. 
I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Now, I ask you, is this passage meant to be historical recording, or is it meant to be a teaching passage? Okay. A, or a historical passage is one that simply records this is what happened. It's not necessarily saying this is what everybody should do. It just says this is what happened. You know, the, the Red Sea was parted, or that um, Peter walked on the water, or, okay? It records that those things happened. Uh, Pastor John, um, by the way, this is a translation from PowerPoint into the church's program, so if it looks a little bit off, it's my fault. Uh, historical passage, Pastor John did a great job some uh, weeks ago. In fact, I remember that time. You did a good job. <laughs> uh, among the many times you do a good job. <laughs> Where what he, he talked about was uh, the uh, Wonder Women and he pointed out Rachel. In that, there is Jacob, who worked for a man for seven years, thinking that the reward of that would be he could marry Rachel, but that isn't the wife he woke up to in the morning. Uh, that was Leah. And then he had to work another seven years, and then he married Rachel. And then uh, Leah was giving him children, uh, Rachel was not giving him children, and so here he is, He's, he's having sex with two women. That isn't producing what uh, Rachel wanted, so then along comes uh, Zilpah, the uh, handmaid, and now she's having a sexual relationship with Jacob, okay, and they're producing all kinds of children. I don't know if you can see in this picture, but there are, are three um, camels there, and the separate wives are on the separate camels. It's always a wise thing um, to, to carry their own children with them. So. Um, it's a historical passage, at least I think so. So let's analyze that real quick. Do you think, is this a historical passage simply recording what happened to Jacob? Or is it a teaching passage that says, go thou and do likewise? <laughs> okay, take you just a second <clears throat> to figure this out. It's, a, it's a, a question you have to ask when you go to passages of scripture. Is this telling me this is what I should do? Or is this recording something that was spoken to someone else? <clears throat> and it's an encouragement. Um, teaching passages are ones that contain promises from God, commands from God, warnings, uh, insights into God's character. And they teach us that. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It says, God breathed, it came from him. That means he is the author. Breathed from him. So all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So whether a passage is a historical one or a teaching one, it is for our good. We might read what happens to somebody who disobeys God, and that's recorded in history. We might read uh, a direct teaching passage that says this is how you need to, to live. It all matters. But um, just before we get to Isaiah 41, you've hung in there really well, Joshua 1, verses 6 and 7 out of the New Living Translation says this, Be strong and courageous. 
For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Now I ask you, did God make that promise or statement to you? Uh, I got myself in a little bit of trouble um, in college when I, I read a passage and I assumed it was for me and I acted on it and it turned out it wasn't intended for me. It was taken out of context and I was crushed actually for quite a while while I, I tried to figure out what happened. Lord, I took a step of, of faith and it, it didn't turn out that way. There's a church in South Korea uh, pastor Cho, who is pastor of that uh, full gospel church in Seoul, 800,000 members. Okay, there's, so, there's a picture of one of their assemblies. There isn't a building that, you know, you get 800,000 people. And I don't know if soccer stadiums, you know, in, in South America even can do that. So they meet a lot of different times uh, during the week. 800,000 members. Pastor Cho is one who, he spoke to a group of us one time, and he was emphasizing uh, listening to the Holy Spirit. So when you read God's word to listen to the Holy Spirit, what does he have to say to you? And then to act on that. Well, in his church, he reported that he took a, a group of young adults, and they went up for a, a mountaintop kind of experience, a, a spiritual training time. So they left the church in Seoul and they crossed over a river and they went up into a mountain and had their devotional training and a deep spiritual time. During that time, one of the things they talked about was Peter walking on the water and what kind of faith that took. So also during that time, there was a major storm that blew through and it rained so much that the river that separated them from, uh, from downtown and where they were the river swelled up, it washed away the bridge, and there was no way to get it back across. This is Pastor Cho telling this to us. They all came down from the, the mountain, and they stand at the, the shore of this raging river. And three of the girls who were absolutely sold out to Jesus said, Jesus told Peter he could walk on the water. And they joined arms, the three of them, and they walked out into the river. Three days later, their bodies were found in the harbor. And this is what Pastor Cho was telling us. And he said, the church was stunned. What do we do with this? God, we believed you. They believed you, and look what happened. Well, that sort of was like my own experience. His point to us was, Jesus never said that to those three girls. That was from a passage where Jesus said that to Peter. There are a lot of other ways that we exhibit our faith, but we need to do what he tells us, not what he told someone else. Does that make sense? Because we can really get ourselves in trouble if we read somebody else's mail and we act on, on that. So, having said that, let's look at Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. All right. I want to read what uh, we haven't read yet out of uh, God's word. 
I'm reading this out of um, another translation, New American Standard, but just uh, listen along. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest part, I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. To whom was that spoken? To you or me or to someone else? It was spoken to someone else. So when we look at it now and we find great encouragement in it, what I want to do is to remove the fear that that's just fluff that we pick out of Scripture and say, well, we hold on to this, but it really isn't for me. Where we're going to go is, yes, it is for you and me, and we'll, we'll see why. The key to answering that is, are there other places where God has spoken something similar in a teaching passage? Does he say anything that sounds like that to us in a teaching passage? Well, here's one, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Don't love money, be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, now this is the, the quoting and this is the, the teaching part to it, for God has said, I will never fail you. That's said to us. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? So you see what was said in Isaiah 41.10 is also, at least in part, said in Hebrews. Let's see if it's any other place. It's Philippians 4.13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Have you seen some of the martial arts fighters? Some of them who I think are, are Christians have some anger issues, apparently, but they, they're in the martial arts and, and they have a verse printed, I can do all things through Christ. And I'm thinking, boy, you know, it's neat to tell people that you're a Christian, but I think that's out of context. I don't think Christ is going to help you kick in somebody's head. You know? That, I mean, I don't want to diss the, the discipline of that, but that's a misapplication of it. I can do all things through Christ. Where Paul says that is, I've learned how to live with a lot, and I've learned how to live with a little. I can do all things that he calls me to do through the, the power that Christ gives me. All right, so that's a teaching passage that says uh, something similar. Oh, let's go back to uh, Colossians 1. This goes over on a couple slides. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people, who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Does, now, does that sound like him rescuing with his victorious right hand? So he says, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So is it taught somewhere else in a teaching passage? Yeah. Let's look at something else. Does that mean that we will always be victorious and never suffer? If it means we will never suffer, I've got a problem, and so do you, because we suffer. 
sometimes people will tell you it's because you don't have enough faith. Well, let's go on. Second Thessalonians 3, 2 and 3 says, Pray too that we will be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not everyone is a believer. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Now there's a teaching passage that says he'll guard you from the evil one. Okay. I'm good with that. Here's some more. 1 Peter 3, 13 and 15. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid. Does that sound familiar to our Isaiah 41 passage? So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Peter goes on a little bit later in the passage to say this. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So, after you have suffered a little while. Now, God's time and my time are different, apparently. I don't know how long a little while is. Some of you have suffered a big little while. It's gone on a long time. The teaching passage says that um, though we might suffer for a time, after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Um, now I want to look at this passage that opens my eyes to understanding some things about um, about praying when we hurt. And it was recently that um, God's Spirit, just by His grace, finally, finally I listened, I guess, to the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when He hurt so badly, when it says that He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, and when He knew what was coming, and He went to, to pray. Mark 14, starting at verse 35, says, He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. The four things he prayed in there that are incredibly helpful to understand. First one is he said, Abba, Father. Now, I don't typically refer to my Heavenly Father as Daddy. I don't know when the last time I called my own dad, Daddy. You know, I, I don't feel real comfortable with that, but that's what the word means. The word Abba is the way of saying my close, my loving, my tender, my understanding, my providing father. Uh, one commentary described it as, that's what a child would say as they climbed up onto the lap of their dad. They'd say, Abba. So, first off, when Jesus prays about the suffering that he's going through, and we'll get to ours in a minute, he remembered that God really cared, that he has a good, good father. It's neat to hear the testimony that said that's when he, he understood and asked Jesus to come into his life, is that hearing that song. You're a good, good father. 
Well, that's what that says. So Jesus, first of all, in his praying about his suffering and his coming suffering, Abba, Father. Then he went on to the next statement that says, everything is possible for you. Everything is possible for you. So if I'm suffering, it's not like it's out of your control. It's like you can do anything. When you think about it, everything that we have in here was spoken into existence. Now people have figured out how to combine some of those things and make them into chairs. But God created from nothing everything. So is there anything too hard for him? No. So Jesus also prayed that back to his father. Abba, Father, nothing is too hard for you. Then the prayer, please take away this, su- this suffering. Please. I was really encouraged by hearing that Jesus himself wanted that. Like, this is going to hurt. Father, please, you can do anything. Will you take this away? Have you prayed that? God, please, will you take this away from me? Well, Jesus prayed that. Uh, Some pictures up there of all of us, all of us hurt. Uh, Some hurt more than others, and some are more wimpy about it (laughs) than others. And so you hear about it a lot, but we all hurt. We all do. Can Can we say, God, will you take this away? And is it because we don't believe enough if he doesn't? Well, here's what happened in the fourth part of Jesus' prayer. But I want your will to be done, not mine. Abba, Father, I know you love me. And I know you're able to do all things. Will you please take away this suffering that I'm about to go through? Please. Yet, I want what you want, not what I want. Because I know you will do what is right. That prayer really opened my eyes to how to pray myself. Um, The deal, in case you're wondering, is... um, I have a, a bad back. I've had six back surgeries, and um, I'm facing maybe another. Um, that would be good news if, if that would fix things. Uh, last time I was at the doctor, I basically had a pat on the head and, and said, um, you know, well, hang in there. Well, so um, that's the thing I gripe about. It, it hinders me from doing a lot of stuff that I want to do. You have things far worse. That's mine for, for right now. And so I, I pray and, and I remember to say, Abba, Father, you love me. And I think of my own being a father and how it grieves me when my kids or my grandkids hurt. You know? You know that feeling that oh, I'd do anything. So, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. You don't need a surgeon. You can just go, (laughs) and I'm good. You know, he can do that. Um, So I felt the freedom to ask him, God, will you please take this suffering away from me? Um, Our family, uh, we have four children, three who live uh, in the uh, immediate area and one who lives out in Pennsylvania. And um, one of them suggested, Dad, how about if we gather around and we all lay hands and pray and we ask Jesus to heal you? And so the one in Pennsylvania was on the phone, on speakerphone. The others were, were there, and they prayed, please, Lord, will you take that away? 
God intervened for a little bit to say, I got this. And wow, oh, it felt so good. But it wasn't long before it came back. And then you wonder, well, is it my lack of faith? And then the last part of Jesus' prayer kicks in. I ask you, Father, and so what I really want is your will. Because his word says, and if you suffer for a little while, afterward, I will come along and I will strengthen you and I will help you. And so if God has a purpose other than my comfort, Lord, I want your will. Now, that doesn't always flow easily, but that's the truth of the matter. That's the bottom line to the, the deal is, Lord, your will be done, not mine. And so in this passage, Isaiah 41.10, it says to me, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I'll hold you up with my victorious right hand. I pray you will hear him say that to you too. Whatever it is you're going through, because Isaiah 41.10 is for you. And he does say that to you. It's his promise he taught us and he will never fail us. I'd like to commit this to the Lord and uh, see what he does with it. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are alive and that you are who you are. Thank you that you are our Abba Father, that you are able to do all things. Thank you that you hear us when we cry out to you. And thank you that you have a plan. And this morning as we listen to your voice, we we want to affirm again, we want your will. Thank you, you have one for us. And we pray, Jesus, in the power of your name. Amen.